Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and you're listening to Words on Film on WBCALP Boston. I will be reviewing some of the newest movies out right now. For today's show, it's going to be a recap of the Oscar ceremony, the 94th Annual Academy Awards, that took place on March 27th, 2022. And I got to tell you, for one major reason, I really, really wanted to do my podcast on Monday rather than on Saturday, which is when I normally record this show. I did not, unfortunately, have the chance to do that. And I will talk about the winners, who won, who I think deserved to win, and so on and so forth. But I really can't talk about the Oscars this year without talking about what a lot of people, almost everyone, is is talking about in regards to the Oscars this year. And that is, of course, the slapping incident where Will Smith walked on stage and slapped comedian Chris Rock in the face after Chris Rock made a joke about Jada Pinkett Smith and her hairstyle of choice. Honestly, Will Smith should not have done this. I do not condone Will Smith's actions at all, and it's bizarre, too. I think everybody has talked about this to death, but I know a lot of people, particularly my followers, are are wanting to know what I think about this incident. And, and frankly, it is bizarre. I did not expect Will Smith to walk up on stage and do this. Maybe he could have walked up on stage and given Chris Rock a, a fake noogie or, or something playful like that. But I was actually thinking when it happened, and I was live tweeting all along as I was watching the show, and I was thinking to myself, if I went to a psychic on Saturday night and sat down at the psychic's table in front of her crystal ball that I presume that she had, and she gave me a worksheet and told me that a rapper was going to go on stage and slap Chris Rock in the face, who is this rapper going to be? And she gave me a multiple choice. She'd say, is it Dr. Dre, Eminem, Kanye West, Will Smith, or Rick Ross? Will Smith would have been my very last choice. My very last. My first choice would probably have been Kanye West because this seems like something Kanye West would do. He's crazy enough to do that. I didn't expect this from Will Smith, particularly when the, the joke that Chris Rock made about Jada Pinkett Smith and the fact that she came to the Oscars with her head shaven was... All things considered, a very mild joke. Chris Rock said that he was looking forward to seeing Jada Pinkett Smith in G.I. Jane 2, which was a film that came out 25 years ago, and apparently people still remember that that was the movie where Demi Moore uh, shaved her head. But it's bizarre because, honestly, it was not that bad a joke. It turns out that Jada Pinkett Smith has a hair loss condition. It's where clumps of her hair came out. And apparently it's something that when Chris Rock made the joke, Will Smith was on camera laughing at it. And you could see a glimpse of Jada Pinkett Smith. 
and she didn't particularly seem to find it especially funny. But how Will Smith went from first laughing at it, then going up on stage and slapping Chris Rock in the face, and then at first I I thought, okay, this is just a, a gimmick. But then Will Smith uncharacteristically shouted to Chris Rock, keep your wife's name out of your effing mouth. And then Chris Rock tried to defend himself and say it was just a G.I. Jane joke. And then Will Smith shouted it again. So I don't know how he went from laughing to slapping to shouting obscenities at Chris Rock. That was probably the part that shocked me the most, especially when on American TV, when this incident happened, the sound went completely mute. I I think the shock of the incident has gone away considerably, but unfortunately I just, I I think that it cast a shadow on the Oscar ceremony. But now that I've talked about the most controversial part of the Oscars, I might as well tell you about the rest of the show. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. So now that I've talked about arguably the most controversial part about the Oscars, how is the rest of the ceremony? And I got to say, overall, I enjoyed watching the the ceremony. And let's talk about the, the host of the show first. So this was the first time in three years that the Oscars had a host, let alone three hosts, and it was the first ceremony since 2011 to feature multiple hosts. That was the show where Anne Hathaway and James Franco hosted, and that's considered one of the worst Oscars of all time. Now, I give Anne Hathaway the benefit of the doubt back then. She was trying her hardest, and she was actually doing pretty well. James Franco, on the other hand, was half-assing it. And I was actually expecting to be disappointed by... Not necessarily Regina Hall, but Amy Schumer and Wanda Sykes. And they were actually pretty good, uh, all three of them together. I didn't think they had the best chemistry, but they were actually funnier than I expected them to be. Regina Hall, of course, didn't disappoint at all. Um, I thought she hosted the Oscars very well. So well, in fact, that she could have actually hosted them herself, and it would have been okay. Amy Schumer was probably the lesser of the three hosts, but she fortunately didn't do any crass jokes. In fact, I think the jokes that Chris Rock did, even though they were uh, good for TV, were edgier than anything Amy Schumer or Wanda Sykes did. But Amy Schumer actually had some uh, very good zingers in there. I'd probably say 30% of her uh, monologue was pretty good, but uh, the rest were kind of dumb throwaway jokes. But I do have to say one of the funniest things she said was they had three uh, women host this show because it was cheaper than getting one man. Very good. But there was another joke she made that she might have actually borrowed from me. So I'm joining the lexicon of 
Dave Attell and Wendy Liebman who are accusing Amy Schumer of plagiarizing because Amy Schumer said about the movie Don't Look Up, she said apparently the Academy of Members didn't look up the critics' reviews before nominating this. And I made a joke very similar when I gave Don't Look Up my negative review. But I'm, of course, kidding. I don't think Amy Schumer listened to this show. If she did, I'd be very flattered. But Wanda Sykes was much funnier than I expected her to be. She actually had the best beginning line where she said, the Oscars are where movie lovers unite to watch TV. And I also really like, even though this was a promotional video that was meant to highlight the Oscar Museum in Los Angeles, I did think it was actually very funny that Wanda Sykes was going around um, the Oscar Museum and, and making a lot of jokes. She actually made some very funny ones. There was one where there was some sort of Lord of the Rings head encased in glass, and she walks by and she says, hey, look, Harvey Weinstein. That was very funny. I also really liked how she was in the Wizard of Oz exhibit, and the only part of the exhibit that paid tribute to the Wiz was a poster of the Wiz, and she said, what is this doing in a museum? Honestly, there's not more Wiz stuff. I have this. That was also very funny. So... Regina Hall, Amy Schumer, Wanda Sykes didn't have, I thought, the best chemistry. And Amy Schumer is probably, even though I don't hate Amy Schumer, and she's been actually good in in some movies, like, for example, Trainwreck and I Feel Pretty were movies that were better than I expected. And I think the people who hated those movies were ones who were jumping on the hate Amy Schumer bandwagon. And I try not to jump on any bandwagon with anybody else, but... Amy Schumer was better than I expected, but still not great. And if she doesn't host the Oscars again, I won't be heartbroken. But Regina Hall and Wanda Sykes, I thought, were probably the funniest of the three. But I hope that the Oscars continues the trend of bringing in a comedian to host the show. And it's actually very surprising the number of people who have not hosted the show. As a matter of fact, there was a clip of... Late Night with Conan O'Brien that I found in 2005, and it was where Conan O'Brien was interviewing Robin Williams, God rest his soul, and they were talking about the most recent Oscar telecast that year, and Robin Williams had co-hosted the show once. He hadn't hosted by himself, but in the 80s, he co-hosted the show with Alan Alda and Jane Fonda. Alan Alda, I think, is probably a a pretty good host. Jane Fonda, I don't exactly know, but I I guess all three of them did very well. But Conan O'Brien actually said something very interesting. He he asked Robin Williams, "What, what is it like to host the Oscars? I've always wanted to do that, but haven't gotten the chance. And my question when I was watching that clip in 2022 was... Why not? Conan O'Brien would be an amazing um, Oscar host. He's he's hosted the Emmys before, and he did very well hosting that. Why hasn't he hosted the Oscars yet? And there are some other um, late-night talk show hosts. Conan has retired from late-night talk shows who have never hosted the Oscars, who I think would do a great job. Jimmy Kimmel, of course, has hosted twice, and he did pretty well. The, The ratings didn't really... Uh, sing his praises, but I thought he was very good and very funny. Jimmy Fallon, who is not my favorite uh, late-night talk show host, 
he would be very good for the role because there is nobody who sucks up to celebrities more than Jimmy Fallon. And that's where Jimmy Fallon would fit right in. Of course, Stephen Colbert, I think, is the funniest of the current late-night talk show hosts. I think he would do a good job. There was a time where Eddie Murphy was going to host the Oscars and didn't um, because of a controversy with a homophobic remark that producer Brett Ratner made. It wasn't Eddie Murphy's fault, but he ended up backing out. I think Eddie Murphy would probably do a good job, but then again, it's been a while since we've seen Eddie Murphy host anything, let alone do stand-up comedy, so it might be a mixed bag, too. But, as I said, Stephen Colbert is my number one choice. I also think, very similar to Jimmy Fallon, James Corden would be a good choice as well. He kind of has the same reputation in his native Great Britain as Amy Schumer does in America, as a guy who... He might have been funny at first, but has sort of worn out his welcome. And he does also have that reputation of sucking up to celebrities. But he's a very entertaining guy. And I do think that the Oscars could go back to having hosts who are not comedians. Like the ones who are not particularly comedians, who do have some sort of comic training, but are not full-fledged comedians. Like, for example... Hugh Jackman or Neil Patrick Harris, they did well when they hosted the Oscars, so I don't exactly know why they aren't called back. But again, maybe next year. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. Continuing with my analysis of the Oscar ceremony, I guess I've kind of gone into what I liked about the Oscars, but let me get into some of the other controversies besides the one everyone kind of um, told you about. For instance, one of the biggest controversies before the show was the removal of several uh, categories from the live broadcast. And this was a move that comedian Patton Oswalt once called dumb and disrespectful, and that's a quote, to the winners of the affected categories. And Variety editor Jazz Tanke called it an insult to the art of filmmaking. And I agree. But I did actually, um, at first, I liked how they... Rather than remove them entirely from the live broadcast, they did actually edit them into the show and had the actual speeches from the winners incorporated into the show. I liked that at first, but unfortunately, it it just um, it didn't shorten the Oscars at all. The Oscars was three hours, 40 minutes, and even... I love the Oscars myself, but even at the three-hour mark, around the time it was 11 p.m., I was looking at my watch, in part because I had to go to work the next morning, and I was thinking to myself, my God, this should be tighter, but for some reason, it isn't, and I don't think they're going to remove those categories from the live broadcast next year, 
And also, I thought that the response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine was too little and too uh, not uh, sincere enough. I did think it was good to have the moment of silence um, at the end, but I don't know if um, having a song by Reba McIntyre, of all people, um, would have been best for... um, Ukraine. But again, I don't exactly think that was the worst part. And I do think it was pretty uh, sincere, all things considered. But I got to tell you, the part that could have worked but didn't this year was the Oscar fan favorite part of the ceremony, where I don't know who these people who voted for these categories were, but there were two categories that they announced on the air. The first one was the Oscars cheer moment, which was apparently the part of any movie which made people stand up and cheer. And it started out pretty good until the first place winner was announced. So they started out with the the top five. Start Counting down from the fifth place was... Uh, Neo's bullet dodging backbend in the matrix, which of course is an iconic part of, uh, film in general, not just the matrix itself. The fourth place was Jennifer Hudson as Effie white singing. And I'm telling you, I'm not going. And, and even though that's a great part of the film, I wouldn't exactly call that a cheer moment because it's the part where her character is dumped from the group, the dreams. And she's also, pregnant with Jamie Foxx's character's uh, child. So that is actually a very sad moment. Granted, Jennifer Hudson, like Jennifer Holiday before her, sings the hell out of that song. And it's a great part. Would it make me stand up and cheer? I don't know. Not in the greater context of the film. But anyway, but that's not the part where I had the biggest problem. The third place was when the Avengers assemble to fight Thanos in Avengers Endgame, another great part. Second place was when the three Spider-Men, Tom Holland, Andrew Garfield, and Tobey Maguire all team up in Spider-Man No Way Home, and that certainly made me cheer. But the first place, what was this? The first place was the Flash enters the Speed Force in Zack Snyder's Justice League. I don't even remember that part of the movie Justice League. I remember Justice League being a, a big budget, but a with you know an all star cast, but just a very mediocre film. And I don't remember that part about the film, let alone well most of it in general. And that's saying a lot, considering that I liked the actor who played the Flash. I loved Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, and. I, I hated um, Ben Affleck as Batman and the actor who played Superman, whose name I can't quite remember, uh, Henry something. But yeah, Justice League was a big-budget film that went absolutely nowhere, which makes me kind of wonder who was voting for this. And I have a theory. I don't think it was humans 
who voted for these. I'm not saying dogs or anything did, but there is automation technology right now, and I think some internet troll just voted for the worst um, and used automation technology to vote for the worst again and again and again. And that's the reason why Zack Snyder's Justice League took the number one spot here. There are other cheer moments that I would be amazed, that, that I was amazed wasn't on the list. Like, for example, when Rocky is fighting against Apollo Creed, either in Rocky or Rocky Two. Hell, any of the Rocky films, really, except maybe Rocky Five. That was just overall a pretty bad film. But the other um, category in the Oscar fan favorite was actually called the Oscar fan favorite. So fifth place was uh, Tick, Tick, Boom. And I think it was the film itself, not any particular part of it. Fourth place was Spider-Man No Way Home. Third place was a film called Minamata, which I haven't even heard of, let alone seen. Second place was Cinderella. And this was the Amazon original film that came out last year that I considered one of the worst films of the year. And first place was Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, which is a film that got on a lot of critics' worst list. It didn't make my worst list, but I wasn't particularly impressed with it, which, again, supports my theory that either trolls intentionally voted for the worst or trolls created bot technology to vote for the worst again and again and again. So... By opening this kind of category up to everyone, it seemed to be a a category, two categories that really pleased no one. And upon watching it, I was, I, I just wasn't particularly impressed with the results. And I do think that the Oscars should reconsider how they approach bringing millennials or anybody who doesn't normally watch the Oscars into this. I I think they should actually just keep satisfying their fan base. People like me who will watch the Oscars every year regardless of how good or how, or how bad it is. In other words, film fans. But in, in trying to please everyone, they're finding that they're not pleasing anyone. But still, the Oscars is the number one... Um, most watched award ceremony in the world. So, and ratings are not just dropping for the Oscars. They're dropping for every award ceremony. That's something the TV people need to figure out, but this obvious pandering isn't really working for anyone.
Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. So before I get into the winners and who I think um, should have won versus actually did win, I'll just say overall the Oscars were an improvement over the previous year. But last year, the vaccine was not readily available, so I can understand that the Oscars did what they did with what they had. This year, I think that it was an improvement, but the Oscars still has a lot of work to do. I do think that if it satisfies its core base of movie fans like myself, it will overall, I think other people will eventually follow. That's just my theory about it. But now, let's go on to the winners of each category. And I'll try to get to each and every category with what little I have, uh, with what little time I have. So I'm going to start with best visual effects. Going to start right with the sciences. So the, um, well, I'm just going to, rather than list the nominees, I'm just going to tell you who the winner is and who I think might probably have been better off winning this category. So best visual effects. I think I predicted Dune was going to win this one because the visual effects on Dune were a far improvement over the David Lynch film from 1984, a huge improvement. And I said last week, I believe that Dune was going to win this category. Although Spider-Man no way home might pull off an upset, not, not including, um, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which I also thought had some very impressive special effects. But compared to Dune, Free Guy and No Time to Die didn't have a chance. Now on to Best Film Editing. The winner of this category was also Dune. And might I also say that Dune swept the science categories, just swept them. Even though it didn't win the major arts awards, it actually won the most awards of the night. It won six Academy Awards. And I think a vast majority of those were well-deserved. Dune won film editing, although I think that, um, well, I, I, I think actually compared to the other four nominees, Don't Look Up, King Richard, The Power of the Dog, and Tick, Tick, Boom. This was Dune's category to lose, so it did well with film editing. I, I think there was another film that I was I was saying might have won, uh, might have been more deserving of best film editing, but I'm not disappointed that Dune won. Also, best costume design. The winner of this category was Cruella. And might I say, Cruella deserved to win this category. The reason being is because the costumes in Cruella, which I praised when I saw Cruella last May, were practically their own character in the film. And they didn't compare to any of the other films in this category, not even Dune. And the, and the costumes in Dune were very impressive, but this was Cruella's category to lose. Now on to best makeup and hairstyling. The winner of this category I actually predicted was going to be Cruella and I was wrong, but, um, the eyes of Tammy Faye, I predicted in a back part of my mind was going to win this category. Although with all that was being said about house of Gucci, most of which was negative, the makeup in that, um, movie, especially the makeup on Jared Leto was actually very good, but it did pale in comparison to how 
the makeup and hairstyling team of Linda Dowds, Stephanie Ingram, and Justin Raleigh transformed Jessica Chastain into Tammy Faye Baker. And even uh, film critic Ty Burr, who used to be of the Boston Globe, said that the makeup was better on Jessica Chastain than her acting. I disagree with that, but the makeup was very impressive, and the eyes of Tammy Faye deserve to win. On to Best Cinematography. Okay, this was the the category that I did not predict Dune was going to win. I actually thought West Side Story was going to win instead, but Dune ultimately did win. I did predict that it would win Best Film Editing, and I was right. Best Cinematography, I think, should have gone to West Side Story because it was very amazing how the cinematography used... Um, well, was much more advanced than it was in the original West Side Story from 1961, and how, especially in the performance of the song America by the Sharks, the cinematography, and for that matter, the editing for which West Side Story was not nominated, surprisingly enough, was seamless. But I can't complain, because Dune had some amazing cinematography, but I probably think West Side Story should have won on this one. So on to best production design. I predicted last week that Dune was going to win, and I was right. Its other nominees in the category were Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, The Tragedy of Macbeth, and West Side Story. And the production design on all of those were very good, especially on The Tragedy of Macbeth. My God. But it was even more amazing what they did with the ca- the characters in The Tragedy of Macbeth, especially the witches. But... Yeah, The Tragedy of Macbeth was worth writing home about, but I I think it paled in comparison to Dune because the special effects, the production design, and the editing were all very, very impressive. On to the category of Best Sound. Guess what won that category? Yep, you guessed it, Dune. And it deserved to win, in my opinion. Granted, in Belfast, No Time to Die, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story, the sound was very impressive, but Dune certainly stood out amongst all the rest. Now we're getting a little bit more into the arts category, and I'm going to start with Best Original Song. Now this one kind of rubbed me the wrong way, because, well, the most of the original songs were performed at the Oscar ceremony. The exception was the song Down to Joy, which was uh, with music and lyrics by Van Morrison from the movie Belfast. That was the only song that was not performed at the Oscar ceremony itself. And, I mean, astonishingly, the song Be Alive from King Richard, which was performed by Beyonce, was pre-recorded. I don't know why you'd want to pre-record Beyonce, but it would be an even bigger crime if they didn't play the song altogether. The winner of this category, Best Original Song, was No Time to Die, with music and lyrics by Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, which I didn't think deserved to win. My prediction with the song who was going to win was Be Alive by Beyonce, and possibly an upset pulled off by... Dos Origuitas from uh, Encanto, which was performed live, although Lin-Manuel Miranda purposefully did not go to the ceremony out of concern for COVID-19. And even though the pandemic has eased up considerably, 
people are still getting infected by COVID-19 and the pandemic is still not over yet. So I don't blame him, but there was actually another song that people were actually angry was performed live. And it was, um, the song, we don't talk about Bruno, but I thought that was really, um, well done, not just in the way that was sung, but also in the way that it was, um, shot. I think that performance should have won best cinematography, not to mention there was a great, uh, appearance, not to mention a rap verse by Megan, the stallion who looked amazing, but I, I'm actually very surprised that only one song from Encanto was nominated, but I do disagree with John Leguizamo, who introduced the song, that he said that we uh, we don't talk about Bruno has been played more times than Happy Birthday. Maybe in the house of um, <laughs> a, a young child, but yeah. I've only heard the song one other time, but I thought it was performed very well, but I don't think that... No Time to Die should have won in the Best Original Song category. It should have been Be Alive, but then again, it seems like the James Bond films seem to have the edge ever since the song Skyfall by Adele deservedly won. But that was one of my only predictions that I got wrong. So for Best Original Score, this was one where I thought Encanto would win hands down. Dune ended up winning this category, and Hans Zimmer was the recipient of that award, but I can't say I'm too disappointed because Dune did have a really great score. I just thought that Encanto uh, should have won in this category. And I said that this was Disney's to lose and well, guess what? It ended up losing. But again, now we're on to the best um, short films. We're going to start with the animated short films. The winner of this category was the windshield wiper, which came from Spain and I said last week that Robin Robin will win and should win. I was wrong about Will winning, obviously, but I thought it should have won. And honestly, I thought the windshield wiper was actually the weakest of the five. Not because it was more adult, but because it um, it showed a lot of vignettes of people in their uh, element. You know, just sitting down at the beach or having coffee. But one of the reasons that I don't think it should have won was because it looked like it was shot on an iPhone. It didn't look like it was drawn or even rotoscoped. It just looked like somebody took an iPhone, set it to animated setting, and just filmed something, which I don't think should should qualify it for best animated short film. And I also think that this is one of those categories that should not have been cut from the live telecast. For best live action short film, I always get this category wrong, and this year it was no exception. I predicted that Please Hold would win, and I thought it should have won, but The Long Goodbye, which starred and was co-directed, not to mention written by Reese Ahmed, who was nominated last year, uh, for best actor, uh, ended up winning instead, but the long goodbye was a, an excellent film. So it was probably my second favorite of the live action short films, but I still thought please hold should have won because I thought that it told a better story. I thought it was a sharper satire than don't look up. And it also displayed a, a very, very um, poignant message about the prison 
industrial complex that we live in in America. So now on to the category of best documentary short subject. The winner of this category was the queen of basketball, but I don't really have any issue with that because I didn't see any of the documentary short subjects. So did the queen of basketball deserve to win? I don't exactly know because I haven't seen any of the other nominees, let alone this one. back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. Now on to the category of Best Documentary Feature. Now, the winner of this category was overshadowed by Will Smith's slap because Chris Rock introduced the Best Documentary Feature, and unfortunately, people were so shell-shocked by what Will Smith did that they did not pay attention to A, who won, and B, the director, Amir Questlove Thompson's speech. And that's really too bad because Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised deserved to win Best Documentary. It really did. But with that said, it was the film for which I was rooting, but I haven't seen Ascension, Attica, Flea, or Writing with Fire. I did say that I think that Flea might make some history as it is the first ever film to be nominated for Best Documentary Feature, Best Animated Feature, and Best Foreign Language Film. I predicted that it would win two out of three of those categories, and I was wrong because it didn't win any. With that said, I was rooting for Summer of Soul to win Best Documentary, and I am ecstatic that it did. It's just too bad that circumstances at the Oscars overshadowed its winning. Now on to Best International Feature Film. I will say, full disclosure, I haven't seen any of the other nominees, including Flea, that were nominated for this category. The winner was Drive My Car, which is from Japan and is directed by Ryosuke Hamaguchi. And the reason I said this would win is because it's nominated for Best Picture, and any international feature film, or what it used to be called, foreign language film that was nominated for Best Picture might not have won Best Picture, but it would definitely win Best International Feature Film. That is the way it is. And I say that because that is one of the only ways in which I am like Jimmy the Greek. It, it's always that way. It's, there is almost no exception. I would have to dig into the Oscar archives to see if there is an exception to that rule. But films like Life is Beautiful and Parasite have been the exact same way. Parasite won Best Picture overall back in 2020, right before the pandemic, about a month before. But it also was favored to win Best International Feature Film, and it did just that. Did Drive My Car deserve to win? I really can't say because I haven't seen the other uh, fellow nominees, but I'm they're actually nominated, so I might actually check them out. For Best Animated Feature Film, Encanto won... And Encanto deserved to win. 
I did think that Flea might pull off an upset, and an even even bigger upset would be the Mitchells versus the Machines. And I saw those other... I, I knew Luca didn't stand a chance, even though that was one of the three Disney films that was nominated this year. And I also knew that Ryan the Last Dragon was also not going to win. And Kanto was an incredible film. Again, I haven't seen Ryan the Last Dragon, and I haven't seen Flea, but Encanto deserved to win at least one of the awards for which it was nominated. I'm glad it won one. I just think that it should have either won Best Original Score or Best Original Song, probably Best Original Score over Dune, but it was great to see it win Best Animated Feature Film. That win was deserved. Now on to Best Adapted Screenplay. I think for this one... I predicted that Dune was going to win because it was a tremendous improvement over the original. But then again, I haven't seen The Lost Daughter. And when I was doing my show last week, I hadn't seen Drive My Car up to that point. But Coda ended up winning, and it's based on the screenplay La Famille Bellier, written by Victoria Bedos, Thomas Bidigain. Um I'm just going to re- read these uh, names. Stanislas Kare de Malberg and Eric Lartiga. I hope I pronounced all those names right. So it's based on another film, but I wouldn't have known that because it seemed so original to me. But I'm going to look up that film, La Famille Bellier, because if if Coda is any indication, and Coda was an amazing film, uh, the film upon which it was based should also be pretty good, but I'm very happy, excuse me, I'm very happy that Coda won this award. On to Best Original Screenplay. I predicted, I predicted that Belfast was going to win, and lo and behold, it did. I also predicted Belfast for another category. If Don't Look Up won Best Screenplay like some other critics predicted it would, I would have been really mad. I'm so glad Belfast persevered and won. Although, Licorice Pizza, I think, could have given Belfast a run for its money. I could also say the same for The Worst Person in the World, a film that uh, comes from uh, Norway, which is which was also nominated for Best International Feature, but I can't really speak for that because I haven't actually seen it. So now we get into the acting categories. Best Supporting Actress, last week I predicted that Ariana DeBose would win for West Side Story. I said she will win and she should win, and I was right. If anyone else won in this category, especially Judi Dench or Jesse Buckley, I would have been really mad. Um, Anjanou Ellis for King Richard, I think, could have also been another uh, nominee that I that could have won and deserved to win, but I'm so happy for Ariana DeBose. Plus one of the best parts about the Oscar telecast was her speech because she really made history by winning this award. She is only the second Latin X person. I would say Latina, but politically incorrect is Latin X uh, to win this award. She is the first Afro Latina to win this award. She's also the first Latina uh, on the L- uh, who's also LGBTQ in, in that community to win this award. I could go on, but Ariana DeBose deserved to win this award. She was 
as good as Rita Moreno, who attended the Oscars. And I would have liked to have seen her be nominated for Best Supporting Actress in addition to Marley Matlin for Coda. That didn't happen, but I'm really glad Ariana DeBose won. So congratulations, Ariana. For uh, Best Supporting Actor, I predicted that Kieran Hines would win for Belfast because he was excellent in that film. But Troy Kotzer won for Coda, where he plays the matriarch, excuse me, the patriarch, don't get, don't get that one wrong, of this mostly deaf family. And he was great. And truth be told, another great part of the Oscar telecast was his accepted speech, which he did completely in sign language. And it was very moving and even though I'm a bit disappointed that I was wrong in this category, I was very happy to see Troy Kotzer win for Coda. Congratulations to him. For Best Actress, I predicted that Jessica Chastain would win for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, and she did. And she deserved to be to, to win for this category as well. I thought maybe Kristen Stewart would pull off an upset for Spencer, where she did a great job portraying Princess Diana or Diana, Princess of Wales, but Jessica Chastain deserved to win. Truth be told, a decade ago, she was nominated for Zero Dark Thirty. Jennifer Lawrence won that um, award instead. Jessica Chastain, I attest, still deserved to win, but I'm so happy that Jessica Chastain finally won in this category. Congratulations to her, and she also made a great acceptance speech as well. On to Best Actor. I predicted that Will Smith would win for King Richard, and he did win for King Richard. Now, one of my biggest problems with King Richard was the fact that it did paint over some of the ugly parts about Richard Williams. And, well, yeah, he's portrayed in this movie as a family man, which he is to a certain extent. But the movie does give him a little bit more credit than he ultimately deserves, but he does deserve credit for honing and also coaching his daughters, Venus and Serena, the way that he did, but not taking that away, Will Smith deserved to win. I do not think given the circumstances that Will Smith should have given his expect acceptance speech. And aside from the controversy, his acceptance speech was rambling. It was long and it was not particularly that memorable. And I do think that his slap overshadowed his overall acceptance speech on to best director. I predicted that Steven Spielberg would win for West side story. And I think that he deserved to win. For West Side Story, given that this was his very first musical and he did an amazing job. But Jane Campion ended up winning for The Power of the Dog, but I'm not against Jane Campion winning. This is actually her second Oscar, but her first one as a director. She is now the third woman to win Best Director for The Power of the Dog. I do still think that Steven Spielberg should have won, but I'm happy for Jane Campion nonetheless. She certainly made a good acceptance speech and she directed a, a a great movie that people will be talking about for years. She previously won back in 1993, all those years ago, for Best Adapted Screenplay for The Piano. And she was also nominated for Best Picture uh, because she produced The Piano as well. But now on to Best Picture. The winner in this uh, category was actually a big upset, but... 
I was very happy to see this movie win because it was an underdog and certainly one of the best movies of the year. The only reason it didn't make my top 10 best films of the year was because, truthfully, I had not actually seen it. It's the only Apple Plus film that I have not seen. But Coda won Best Picture. The only reason I'm disappointed is because I thought either Belfast or West Side Story, I predicted that one of those was going to win. I put my money on Belfast, and if I actually put literal money on that, I would have lost it. And West Side Story was also excellent. But I was very happy to see Coda win. I was actually moved to tears during that accepted speech and seeing all the people who um, were involved in the film go up to accept the award. Not just Troy Kotzer, but also Marley Matlin, as well as the uh, producers, uh, Philippe Rosselet, uh, Fabrice Gianfermi, and Patrick Washburger. Coda was an excellent film. If I had to do my top ten list over again, I would have put Coda actually in my top five. It might have even been, well, I wouldn't say it's what I think was the best film of the year. I I still attest that Belfast I, I liked a little bit better because of its lack of convention, but... I'm very happy the Coda won, so really no complaints about that. And my God, I made it through all the nominees, unlike last year when I did this show. I'm very proud of myself. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. Now that I've talked about the Oscar ceremony, let me talk about the 42nd Golden Raspberry Awards, better known as the Razzies. These were actually earlier this year than I expected. They're usually the night before the Oscars. This year, they were two nights before, and I didn't get to talk about the categories, and I'll try to get as many as I can for this show, but I gotta tell you... Last week, I was talking about the category Worst Performance by Bruce Willis in a 2021 Film. And when I was doing my show last week, it had not occurred to me that um, that Bruce Willis had been diagnosed with aphasia. This was actually revealed on March 30th, 2022. And for those of you who don't know, aphasia is a... Category, is a category of dementia which results in memory loss. And this is really sad because I had no idea. I don't know if this accounts for Bruce Willis's choices in movies last year. I don't exactly know, and I wouldn't go that far, but I am really sad that Bruce Willis is, is suffering from aphasia. He doesn't deserve this. No one really deserves this. And the Razzies originally stood by their decision to award the prize and tweeted, perhaps this explains why he wanted to go out with a bang in 2021. Our best wishes to Bruce Willis and his family. But reversed this a day later in the wake of public backlash, which I think was a very good move. Granted, of course, 
The award's already been given. And when I was telling you, listening audience, about the awards um, and the fact that they won or that Bruce Willis had his own category, I was laughing at it because not laughing at Bruce Willis necessarily, but I also said that Bruce Willis, like John Travolta, is going through a period where they're making not their best films and certainly ones that are being released directly to streaming or directly to DVD if the DVDs are still being printed, which I doubt they are. And I predicted that Bruce Willis would make a comeback. Now that he has aphasia, it's unlikely that he will but I do wish him and his family all the best in going through this very tough time. There really is is not any joking about that, and that's really all there is to say. So I, I told you guys last week about not only the Bruce Willis category, but also Worst Picture being Diana the Musical. Now, I might as well tell you about Worst Director. So the Worst Director was Christopher Ashley for Diana the Musical. He was up against Stephen Chabowski for Dear Evan Hansen, Coke Daniels for the movie Karen, Rennie Harlan for the movie The Misfits, and Joe Wright for The Woman in the Window. I haven't seen Diana the Musical, so I don't exactly know if Christopher Ashley was deserving of this award. But I did see Dear Evan Hansen, and I didn't think that was a terrible movie. Of course, in in um, in a year where... There were some exceptional uh, musicals and some that got swept under the rug, like Into the Heights, which definitely deserved more nominations than it ultimately received. Uh, Dear Evan Hansen was probably the lesser of the great musicals, but I still didn't think it was that bad. But on to uh, Worst Actor. The winner of this category was LeBron James for Space Jam A New Legacy, which I guess was deserving Uh, particularly because, well, I hadn't seen the other nominees in this category like Dangerous, Diana the Musical, or Infinite. But, yeah, LeBron James was pretty bad in Space Jam A New Legacy. I think he actually has less acting experience than Michael Jordan did. Michael Jordan is also not an actor, but he was actually a bit more believable in the original Space Jam, especially when he was acting alongside nothing. I mean, he was he of course was acting alongside Looney Tunes, but he was more believable. Probably, dare I say it, as believable as Bob Hoskins was in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And that's saying a lot considering that Bob Hoskins was one of the best actors of his generation and Michael Jordan ha- had acting experience that was limited to TV cameos and commercials. But I still believed uh, Michael Jordan a lot more than I believed LeBron James. That just about does it for this episode of Words on Film. Words on Film is the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures, and I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke, reminding you that the views and opinions expressed on Words on Film about movies or other topics are solely those of your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. They do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of any employees or volunteers who are working at WBCA or the station as a whole. Until I watch a whole bunch of brand new movies, this is Dan Burke saying I'll see you at the movies.